0: Good morning. My name is Josh Wilson, one of the pastors here. So grateful, as it's been said a couple of times, that you're here with us this morning. We are currently going through a series through the book of Galatians. So we're gonna dive into that in just a second. Uh, Before we dive into those, a couple of announcements. Lyle's already hit part of one, so trunk or treat us tonight. Parking lot's going to be scattered with a bunch of awesome things, so you'll definitely want to come back if this is your first time with us. If you are wanting to volunteer tonight, you can go immediately after the service to the Welcome Center. Ashley Stevenson, who's on staff here, will connect with you, and she can get you plugged into various different ways that you can serve. So if that's you, make sure you go contact her after the service. The second thing is we have a member meeting coming up next Sunday immediately after our 11 a.m. service, all right? So This is not anything weird that's going on. We just have some details through a transition that we're making as a church that we need you to be there so we can communicate those to you. And then we will have 30 days after that for us to vote on those said changes um, that month later. So make sure you're there. We'll have all the details um, for you. We'll work really quickly through those because we will not have childcare. So kids will be in here, rambunctious, running all over the place, and it'll be great. All right? Awesome family, amen? So that's uh, what's coming on in the next couple weeks. All right, so if you would, please grab your Bible so you can stand with me for the reading of God's Word if you are able. We'll be in Galatians 3, looking at verses 10 through 14. The passage should be in your bulletin as well on the screen. It says this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for this truth. It's an important passage in all the book of Galatians. And I pray, Lord, as we unpack it this morning, that our hearts would be stirred for Jesus and all that he has done for us, and that we would put complete faith and trust in him. And we do stop and just consider all that is going on around us, a lot of the brokenness that is taking place in our world, and we look forward to the hope that Jesus alone brings, that all things will be created new, all tensions will be completely abolished, and we will have perfect unity as God's people. And we long for that day, and we ask that it would come quickly, Lord Jesus. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So in the music industry, there is a notorious age, and that notorious age is 27. And the reason that the age 27 is so notorious is because there's a number of musicians that pass away way too early at that same age. So Guys like Jimi Hendrix, um, Woman Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, these are just a number of different musicians that passed away at the age of 27. Now, there's one that you may not have heard of that was kind of a big deal back in the 20s and 30s, and his name was Robert Johnson. So he passed away at the age of 27. He was declared the king of the Delta Blues He was born in 1911, passed away in 1938, and he has had a tremendous influence on some very influential musicians over the last 100 years. So guys like Eric Clapton and Keith Richards both studied all of his works to learn his guitar riffs and everything that he brought to the table because he was so talented. But what's so interesting about Robert Johnson's story is that it's said that he acquired his talent almost overnight, in fact, his story almost became like this urban legend. So here's how the story goes. Johnson desperately wanted to play music and to be an influential figure in the music scene. But he was dreadful at the guitar, absolutely dreadful. So he tried to learn from some of the best of his day and age. So Sunhouse and Willie Brown were two of the best blues guitarists that were around and it was said that they worked with him they tried to help him build his craft but at the end of the day he was just awful so Sunhouse said this of robert johnson whenever he picked up the guitar that it was such a racket that you had never heard in between sets that he would play in all these different bars and places it was said that Robert Johnson would go pick up Sun House's guitar and try to play and Sun House would literally send someone to take the guitar out of his hand because he was so awful so just dreadful musician he leaves the music scene and comes back and then he's just this amazing guitarist and all the guys the guys like Sun House and Willie Brown are like what in the world happened man like these guys that were once ridiculing for him for his lack of talent are now coming to him and saying, I, I need to know, what did you do? How did you learn? How did you acquire all this talent? And Johnson's response is the thing that's kind of become the urban legend. So he said that he went down to the crossroads of Clarksdale, Mississippi, deep south, just before midnight, and he had a meeting with the devil. And the devil offered to tune his guitar in exchange for his soul, and Johnson took the deal. So this morning, as we come to this passage, I am arguing that we are at the crossroads of salvation in this passage. The Galatians, as Paul puts it, have trusted in the gospel in the early beginnings, but have reverted back to this trust in their own human effort— And Paul is coming and saying, You are at the crossroads of salvation. And he gives us two different paths. The first one that he works out for us is the path of works of the law. And he says, This leads to basically you selling your soul. And then, second is the path of faith. And he said, This is the path that leads to a life that is blessed. So, all I want to do this morning for us is I want us to unpack these two different paths, these two different roads. We're gonna start with works of the law because that's where Paul starts in verse 10 and then we're gonna move to the path of faith. So verse 10, let's read it again to refresh our minds and let's unpack this idea of works of the law. Paul says this, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now what we need to understand is that Paul is continuing his thought from the previous section. So the the passage that Lyle worked through last week ended in verse 9, and it says this, consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. So automatically, between these two verses, you see these two different paths are being compared and contrasted. Verse 9, you have the path of faith. Verse 10, you have the path of the works of the law. In verse 10, Paul expounds on this idea of the works of the law. So what we need to do is we need to first understand, okay, what is the works of the law, and then what, why does it lead to curse? What Paul actually means there is God's judgment, his divine rejection because of sin. So why, what are the works of the law, and then why does it lead to a, a cursed life? So let's consider the works of the law first, and then I promise we'll get to the cursing, all right? So, which I'm sure everybody's really excited about, um, So here's what Paul means by works of the law, all right? Works of the law is just keeping the Old Testament laws that God brought to his people in Israel and keeping them fully. So 613 different laws, and you have to keep all these laws. At the beginning of Galatians chapter three, Paul equates the works of the law with human effort. And so what is happening here in Galatia is these people who once believed in the gospel are now reverting back to wanting to enter into a right relationship with God based on their own human effort, specifically things like circumcision, which is basically becoming a ritual Jew. And they're placing half faith in the gospel, half faith in the law. And what Paul is coming to saying is you can't do that. It's impossible. It's not compatible. And they have no idea what they're getting themselves into. Because what Lyle has done so well in unpacking is anytime you add to the gospel, you lose the gospel right? There's no way that you can bring something in addition to it and keep the whole truth of the gospel intact. Anytime you add to it, you completely lose it. And what Paul is saying is you can't dabble with this idea of the law. It either demands all of you or nothing of you. It's not something that you can tamper with. And we get this in the very end of verse 10 here where Paul quotes Deuteronomy 27 through 26. He says, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. What we see from that passage are three different things about this very particular law. All right, three things. The first one is that your obedience must be active. So works of the law cannot just be this knowledge of the Bible or the facts of God. All right, you You can't say that I have the Bible and I read it regularly. I I know all the answers to the questions that are in church. I can talk to other people about God. My family even reads through the Bible on a regular basis. We read it with my kids because we want our kids to know the truths of the Bible. So I'm good. Paul's saying it doesn't cut it. It doesn't work. Because knowing the Bible doesn't just suffice. You actually have to live it out and you have to practice it. So that's the first, your obedience must be active. Second, in this very end of verse 10, Paul is saying your obedience must be comprehensive. So works of the law is not this compare and contrast thing. So you can't say, well, I've kept this part of the law and that part of the law, but this other part of the law, I haven't done a very good job of keeping this, but it's okay because these are more important. Paul's saying it doesn't cut it. Your obedience must be exhaustive. Every law must be fully kept. And then the third aspect is that your obedience must be constant. There are no breaks when it comes to keeping the works of the law. So you can't say, I I obeyed God for years. I mean, extended years, 30 years, I kept and I walked with God. Now, There were two years in the midst of that where I kind of walked away, I trailed away, I did some things that I'm not very proud of, but God called me back. I'm back here. I'm good now. God and I are right again. Paul is saying that too does not cut it. For you to walk the path of the works of the law, it has to be active, it has to be comprehensive, and it has to be constant, no breaks, no breaks. So in essence, what Paul is communicating about this works of the law is that it requires perfect performance before blessing. Perfect performance before blessing. Now the question, without even hearing the second path, is why in the world would you even choose this path? Amen? Like, who would choose this? But the matter of the fact is, is this is the way of our world. The way of our world is works of the law. Our world runs by these laws that demand performance before blessing, don't they? I mean, we get this. We understand this. One pastor puts it like this. Conditionality is written into the fabric of every society and relationship because it is written into the fabric of every heart and human mind. We, we get this from the very beginning of our lives, all right? So the holidays are just around the corner. And what's, what's the song of the holidays about Santa. Making a list, he's checking it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty or nice, right? What's the message of that song? Performance before blessing. You got to be nice before you get the Christmas presents. I mean, think about the process of just growing up, all right? The big first stage is you go to school, Right? Whenever you're in school, you got to do the work before you get the grade. Then you got to get the grade before you get the diploma. Then you have to have the diploma before you get the job. Then you got to do the work of the job before you get the paycheck. And then you have to have the experience of the job before you get the promotion, right? And then you have to have years and years and years upon experience before you can even retire and have, finally, a a breath of fresh air. Or take the idea of even reproducing. You have to have pregnancy and labor before you get to hold the baby, amen? All the ladies should be saying amen to that. (laughs) Our world is run by performance before blessing, it's the way we live. In fact, it's the road that we all travel, it's all we know. In essence, we're all in this together. We're all in this path of works of the law. And the news for us is that it is a cursed life. Paul, as he's working through this idea of it being a cursed life, man, he, he's wanting us to see not only is it a cursed life, but like this idea of conditionality, it bleeds into our spirituality. So, our our wrestlings with salvation in this path of the works of the law may look different from what the Galatians dealt with, right? Okay, so circumcision, I'm sure, is not a hurdle for a lot of people here when it comes to salvation, amen? But the, the thing about that is there's something that's going on beyond, below the surface. When they are coming to this trust in their efforts and their own personal works and right standing before God— there are heart matters that are taking place there. And I am saying that those same heart matters are the same ones that we deal with today. So here's three kind of ways that I feel like this fleshes out for us, all right? The three isms. So the first one is this, moralism. Moralism is self-improvement that precedes acceptance. And here's the voice of moralism. If I clean myself up, then I'll be accepted. I'll be accepted by God. I'll be accepted by others. I'll even be accepted by myself. And you you don't even have to play this completely out before you see the hints of moralism inside of us, all right? So maybe you've invited someone to church before, and they've said something like this. If I walk into the church, the building's gonna collapse on me. You know what that is? That's moralism. They they see in their own life they haven't met the standards and they haven't done the work. Now, let's say somebody does do the work. The, the thought process, the response changes to something like this. I was a mess, but look how much I've improved. Look how good I am. Look at the work that I put in. I, I've transformed myself. It's moralism. Trusting in your own human effort. Second, you have legalism, which says obedience precedes acceptance. And here's here's the voice. If I follow the rules, then I'll be accepted. I'm a good, outstanding citizen. I've never had any trouble with the law. When I go to work, you can trust me to get the job done. Anything that has been delegated to me, you can consider it done. I'm faithful. I follow through. It's legalism. Third, performancism, which I don't think is even really a word, but you can go with me, all right? So performancism is this. Success precedes acceptance. If I accomplish enough, then I'll be accepted. In fact, if I accomplish enough, then I I can't be turned down. I'll be too appealing. And so you, I mean, we do this with relationships. We do it with jobs. We do it with all these things. Like you, you marry the person that everybody else wanted. Accomplishment number one. You have the beautiful children that always obey, that make everybody else just absolutely furious. You have the house. You have the car. You started the job. You got the promotions. The list goes on and on and on. Listen, all this, it's just works of the law. It's just works of the law. And it's empty. Absolutely empty. So, okay, what about this idea of curse, all right? So why does this lead to curse? Why is this the cursed life, according to Paul? Well, it's the cursed life because we can't meet the standards, God holds a certain standard when it comes to obedience and none of us, absolutely none of us have ever met the mark. And because of that, we are deserving of God's judgment and his divine rejection. And it's fleshed out in a couple of ways here, right? So the first one I think is very obvious in this passage. And the first one is this, that we are cursed eternally thinking through our relationship with our God who's in heaven, because we can't meet the demands of the law. We can't meet it. We can't fulfill it. One way of putting it is this, the law demands perfection, but the law can never deliver within us what it demands from us. We're absolutely, completely incapable, and God's judgment is coming because we can't meet those requirements of the law. So Paul puts it like this in Romans three twenty three: For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All is the word that he used. All of human society. In the very next verse in Galatians chapter three, so verse eleven, Paul even gets to this. He says, "Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law. We all stand under His judgment." because we cannot fulfill what the law demands. Not only is it a curse eternally, but it's also a curse presently, all right? And that's because we the expectations of the law or even the expectations that we put on ourselves are absolutely crushing. We can't even live up to our own standards, let alone the very standards of God. And when we do, and we try, it's absolutely crushing. So I got started in ministry. Whenever I was in college, I did an internship. It was more like a youth associate position because I was paid. I had required hours of me throughout the week, but they called it an internship. And I did it for two and a half years. And things did—I mean, the the work that I did—it seemed to go pretty well. So at the end of my two and a half years there, we went on this staff retreat, youth staff retreat. It was pretty large staff because. The youth ministry was over 400 students that would come on like Wednesday nights and stuff. So we got away, and we went to this cabin, and the youth pastor oversaw the whole ministry, pulled me aside for like a one-on-one, and he paid me some incredible compliments. He, He really did, some things that I think he really genuinely meant to be a blessing for my life. So he said things like, Josh, you're the best intern I've ever had, and I want my son whenever he grows up to be like you. I want him to pursue the paths and do the things that you've done. And at the time, it felt like an incredible blessing. But the more and more I got further down the road, the more it felt like a curse. It's because they came with expectations. There were these standards that I felt I now had to hit because of the very thoughts and the words that he expressed to me. I struggled with, I still struggle with this addiction to the works of the law mentality. So here's the thoughts that would run through my head, man. Like, so first, Josh, you have to be the standard. You have to be the standard. You you gotta watch over your life. You gotta make sure that you don't falter in any certain way because you have to have, you have to be the one that has everything together. These hints of moralism that are just pumping through my mind. Josh, you can't let anyone down. You need to take on more and more responsibility, but as you do it, you can't falter. You have, you have to hold true. You have to be the faithful and the responsible one. Hints of legalism just going off in my head. Josh, you have to outperform everyone. You have to maintain the status of this, these compliments that were given to you. You have to outdo the previous event you have to remain ahead of the curve. Hints of performanceism just going off in my head, and I could not wait to be done with that internship because the expectations that I don't even say he was putting on me, but I'm putting on myself, were absolutely crushing. It was a cursed life. So not only is that a cursed life eternally, it's an accursed life. Presently, works of the law are exhausting, they are impossible, and they lead to nothing but a cursed life. So at the crossroads of salvation, this first path is the works of the law. It is a road we are all traveling on at some point or another, and it leads to nothing but a curse. But praise be to God that there is another way there is another road that is to be traveled, and that is the path of faith in Jesus Christ. And we see this in verse 11. Verse 11 says this, now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. So the alternate crossroad here, at the crossroad of salvation, is faith in Christ. So what does that look like? So it, We know it's not faith in our own effort or starting in the gospel and then continuing in our own effort, because we see that in the very next verse. So, verse 12 says this But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. So, trust in the works of the law is not a faith thing, it's you're trusting in your own certain efforts. So the answer here is we are not trusting in our own efforts, we're trusting in someone else's efforts, all right? The idea behind faith in Christianity is not the power of your faith, but the power of the object of your faith, so which we find here in verse 13, all right? It says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So follow the progression here with me in this verse, all right? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What does redeemed mean? It's, I think this word has lost a lot of its luster in our society because of the way that we use it, all right? So when I think of redeem, the first things that come to my head are credit card reward points, you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Or iTunes gift cards, got to redeem the card. And so you have these commercials whenever you're going to redeem your rewards points that you can go on vacations, you have this extra cash to go on vacations, to make improvements on your house, to take your wife on these fancy getaways, whatever it may be. And that's the idea, the sense of redemption that is communicated with the way that we use the word in our present day. And it's removing the very heart, the very Depth of the very word that Paul is communicating here. The idea in the Bible when it comes to redemption is that you literally give up your everything. Everything. In order that you can buy or purchase this thing that is so valuable for you. So Paul is saying, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He bought us, he purchased us. Okay, how? Moving on to the the middle part of the verse, by becoming a curse for us. All right, so if, if, if you put those two things together, Paul is really trying to startle us with his language here. He's trying to wake us up, all right? So none of you would ever do this, but let's say someone's nodding off in a service imagine I pull out like this massive super soaker from the pulpit. You didn't see it before. I pull out this massive super soaker. I mean, it's high end, right? So it's got like a laser pointer. I pump up, pump it up. And as I'm pumping it up, like person in the very back row is nodding off. And I point at the laser right on the middle of the forehead and I squirt them with water. What are they going to do? They're going to jolt right awake, right? That's the very thing that Paul's trying to do with the language here. Christ Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So, all right, the language here a little bit. Two things we need to look at. First is the word for, for us. It literally means on behalf of or in the place of. So Paul's communicating that Jesus was our literal substitute. He stood in our place. And notice the curse that he took, all right? Not taking a curse, but becoming a curse. You and I can take a curse. We can take a slap on the hand and then move on, amen? But Jesus did something much larger than that. He became a curse. And what's the essence that Paul is drawing out here? How did he become a curse? Well, you see it in the passage that he quotes from Deuteronomy 21 through, through 23. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So here's the backstory to that verse. So in the Old Testament, when somebody was convicted of a crime that deserved death, they would bring that person to the city center and they would grab rocks off of the ground and they would literally stone them right in their very presence to the point of death. And then immediately after that, that same day, they would take that dead person's body and they would hang it on a tree as a symbol to show that they were a cursed person person and they've been divinely rejected. So what Paul is communicating here is that at Jesus' execution on the cross, it's God's ultimate expression that Jesus experienced the curse of divine rejection and judgment in our place. The very thing that we deserved, Jesus stepped in and took for us. Jesus received the curse that we owed to God so that we might receive the very blessing he deserved. Paul says it differently in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says this, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So consider that your life is on this moral ledger, all right? All of your thoughts, all your words All your actions and even your very motives are all listed out in this ledger. Now, as you're looking through it, like you're hoping, you're desiring that there's more good than there are bad, maybe even someone that comes and grabs the ledger and looks through it says, you know what, didn't do half bad. There's a lot of good stuff in here that you did. But as you're flipping through the ledger, there's a passage that comes across. It's Isaiah 64, six, and it says this, all of us have become like something unclean And all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. So even your good deeds are tainted. All the green marks are turning completely red in the ledger. You literally bring nothing to the table. You have nothing to offer. But then you turn the page again. And there's this notice of transfer. And Jesus' name is right next to it. And you start thumbing through the pages. And you just see perfect obedience, perfect obedience, perfect obedience, perfect obedience. And you're like, what in the world is going on? And you flip back to the very beginning of the ledger and then all you see is this blank space. All of the sinful acts that you've ever done, even the good things that were tainted by your evil motives and works, blank space. Jesus' perfect moral ledger has been completely transferred to you while he's taking your completely sinful ledger upon himself. That's exactly what Paul is communicating here. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us because everyone who's hung on a tree is cursed. The perfect one stands in your place. The undeserving takes the place of us, the deserving, in the judgment that we owed God for all of our imperfect performance. The Bible gives a word and a definition to this and it's justification. Literally meaning that you are counted righteous before God. And there's been people that have played off of this word, tried to get a little fancy, all right? So they've done this. They take justified and they say, just as if I'd never sinned. And that's a good truth, but it's not the whole truth. Because what you should actually be doing as well is saying, just as if I had obeyed. All of your sin has been paid for, but Jesus acted on your very behalf. His perfect performance is now your perfect performance. And the gift is blessing. So, like, what do we do with this? Like, why in the world would God even step in and do this for us? Well, we, we get the idea of the very answer in the very, very last verse of this passage. Verse 14. It says this. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. So, The very reason that God did this is so that we could receive his blessing, which is the reception of the Holy Spirit, all right? So here's what I think Paul is getting at. God created this alternate path of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ because he loves you and he wants to be with you. Where am I getting that? How, How am I getting there, all right? So the Spirit here is the Spirit of God, the very Spirit of God himself, And God literally, the Bible tells us, comes and makes his home within us. So 2 Corinthians 6, 16 says this, if we are all the temple of the living God, as God said, I will dwell and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. So when we are gifted with the Holy Spirit, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, the Bible tells us we are gifted with the Holy Spirit. God comes and lives in our heart and our soul. He makes his home within us and we get to live with the very creator God of this world. Now, if you think back on the works of the law as you're, we're working through the curse, like the thought that may have been going through your head is this. I don't want to believe in a God like that. I do not want to believe in a God that would curse me or curse anyone else. But the fact of the reality is this, that Even flawed human beings like us know that you cannot overlook evil or sin. Anytime someone wrongs us, what do we desire? Justice. Even in the smallest, minuscule ways. But the very problem with that is we have likely done just about anything anybody's ever done to us, to other people as well. So if you want justice for other people, that justice comes right back to you. And here's the thing, like, God can't overlook that. He can't just say, forget it. I'll forgive it, it's fine. Now, for you to deal with the very presence of evil, there has to be a steep price that is paid. And what Paul is saying here is that God is so incredibly loving that he is willing to stand in our place. The judgment and divine rejection that you and I deserved. He's willing to stand in our place by sending Jesus, becoming the curse for us because he wants to live with us. That's the essence and that's the news of Christianity. Christianity is the only faith system where God both makes the demands and meets them simultaneously. There is a high standard and we cannot cannot meet it. We deserve judgment. But the beauty of the gospel is that God does it for us. You're declared justified. The very reason he does it is because he can't imagine life without you. To the extent that he's willing to lay down his one and only son so he can have you. That is our God. Yeah, it's hard to wrestle with the cursing, but he stands in your place. No one ever has loved you as deeply or gone to the extent that God has in order that he might live with you. He's deeply loving and no one is ever going to top it. Wiping your debt clean was not enough for our God. He had to live with you. So what do we do with this, right? Like, where do we go? There's a couple of steps, all right? The first one is this, and it seems very simple, very naive, but go with me, all right? At the crossroads of salvation, choose the path of faith and don't choose the path of works of the law. Choose the path of faith. Look, works of the law are nothing more than foolishness. We didn't even need to hear the path of faith to know that's the direction that we wanted to go. But yet we are still indebted to this moralism, this legalism, and this performanceism that is constantly crushing us. We're addicted to the only way of life that we know how to live. I'm saying trust in the work that has been done for you. Trust in Jesus. Now, I understand that Louisville is, the place that we live, is very over church. A lot of us have probably been in and out of church. So we've, we've heard a lot of things, and we may even say something like this. Oh, I've always believed in God. I've always believed. I've always believed that God exists. So I'm good. Like I, I've trusted in this for as long as I can remember. And I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm really not trying to be divisive here, but saving faith is more than just a general belief in the existence of God. Saving faith is trusting in the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. Coming to the realization that you deserve God's judgment. And trusting in the saving promise of God that he has accomplished the whole work through his son, Jesus, who lived the life that you should have lived and who died the death that you should have died and now lives the resurrected life that God has promised us in Christ Jesus. That is saving faith, not just this general belief that God exists. Trust in Jesus. Take the path of faith. Now, well, I was hit on this in a lot of different ways already throughout Galatians, but I would say the second application for us is that we need to keep coming back to this gospel. We practice it, we re-practice it, we re-re-practice it as many re's as you need to put at the very beginning of that is how many times we come back to the gospel. All right, so a mature Christian does not move ever move beyond the gospel. Rather, a mature Christian drills deep down into the minds of the gospel and unearths the diamonds of it. All right, so many of us are still in this place that we're still addicted to this lifestyle of works of the law. We have this belief in Jesus, but man, we struggle to constantly come back to finding our value in our performance. The gospel message is this that you abandon all self trusting ways. You you abandon it entirely. And instead, you go back again and again to Christ crucified, so our hearts are more and more gripped by this very fact that God Himself stood in your place. You keep coming back to it again and again. All right, so I love food. I do. I love food. I, I, I want to eat what I want, when I want, and however much of it I want at any point in time. I do. And the Bible calls that gluttony. All right? The Bible calls that gluttony. All right? And it's something that I'm becoming more and more aware of as the older I get. It's this, I don't know if it's just the sin of adulthood. I think there's a lot of different things, but it's definitely something that I, I feel like I'm giving into more and more as I get older, all right? And so as I become more aware of this, a surface prayer that I have found myself praying is this, and it sounds so, so contrite, all right? Lord, I have a problem with food. I have a problem with food. Please remove the struggle by your power, all right? You're the power of Jesus. Remove the struggle with food and give me self-control. Allow me to not continue to just to stuff my face with all the stuff that's bad for me. That that, that can be a fine prayer, okay? That can be a fine prayer whenever we're in the midst of wrestling through, asking for the power of God to come and intervene. Man, it can be a good prayer, all right? But the the problem with this prayer is that it doesn't deal with the matters of my heart, okay? It doesn't deal with the matters of my heart. So for us to practice the gospel, for me to practice the gospel, I need to deal with the heart questions here. Why the struggle? Why, Why do I keep coming back to food? So instead of, praying this generic prayer, this desire for God just to remove it from me, I need to ask the heart questions. So things like, what is the hope that I'm craving? What am I avoiding whenever I eat food, when I come to food? What do I feel like it has to offer? How am I trying to escape whenever I just want to go stuff my face? I need to ask myself the heart questions. What, what am I really deeply struggling with? And as we practice and we repractice the gospel, we come back and we make our eyes look to Jesus at the cross of Jesus Christ. I feel like the, this is the, the essence, this is the way that the spirit works. The spirit will work with us to replace our functional saviors. Our desire for comfort, approval, control. He'll replace these functional saviors with the savior, and the root of sin will begin to wither in our life. But it only happens by constantly, repeatedly coming back to the gospel over and over again. The mature Christian never moves beyond Christianity. Rather, they mine the depths of it and unearth the diamonds that are found in the gospel. So Robert Johnson, he didn't have a long list of songs, only 29 that he ever produced. But the most famous one that he ever did was actually titled Crossroads. It's been covered by multiple artists over the span of history. So John Mayer's the most recent one that covered the song. And the lyrics of the song go like this. I went to the crossroad and fell down on my knees. I, I went to the crossroad, I fell down on my knees. I ask the Lord above, have mercy, now save poor Bob if you please. You can run, you can run, tell my friend Willie Brown. No, you can run, you can run, tell my friend Willie Brown that I got the crossroad blues this morning, and Lord, babe, I'm sinking down. Music critics have wrestled with the phrasing that he has done here, some thinking he's not talking about his dealings with the devil at all, others thinking he's absolutely dealing with the the struggles, the deals that he made with the devil. And one of those that believes he is talking about his dealings with the devil says this, what does he mean by I'm sinking down? I think there's a strong case to be made that he's speaking of losing his soul. As darkness descends over him, he recognizes his many flaws. The song has a timeless power because we are all deep down, just like Robert Johnson, standing at the crossroads, with our world hanging in the balance. As we come and we, to this passage, we come to the crossroads of salvation itself, and our lives hang in the balance. Which path are you gonna take? Works of the law, it leads to a cursed life. Or are you gonna take the path of faith in Jesus Christ, a life of blessing, and with God himself. Choose the path of faith. Choose Jesus. Let's pray.